Your experience, no matter how many people have gone through something similar, is a very personal and unique to you. And you're going to have to figure out what you need. And sometimes you're not going to know what that looks like. Maybe talking about it feels good. Maybe it doesn't feel so good right now. But you want to acknowledge the feelings that are coming up and avoid suppressing them. I'm Amy. And I'm Abby. And as women, we are constantly comparing ourselves to others. But your life isn't supposed to look like hers. Being your best self means standing firm in your decisions and always being willing to grow with a purpose. We get vulnerable and real with an honest look into the challenges and triumphs we all face. Every woman listening gets the opportunity to choose what life looks like for herself. Today, we're bringing back one of the most listened to guests of 2020. We have the honor of interviewing Dr. Asherina Reem. And for those of you who are not familiar with Dr. Reem, she goes by Psyched Mommy over on Instagram. And her account has made huge waves in my life as well as Amy's. Dr. Reem was on in episode 27, where we tackled some really big subjects. We talked about anxiety, we talked about depression, and really that mental load of motherhood. And we are so excited to dive in with her today. So Dr. Reem, could you give us a quick introduction before we got started? Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to be back. I am Psych Mommy on Facebook and Instagram, but what you might not know about me is I'm a licensed psychologist. I specialize in perinatal mental health, uh, meaning that I really help women and their families throughout the journey of fertility, pregnancy, postpartum, and beyond. But before I began really focusing on this field, I actually worked in the field of eating disorder recovery, and I worked in residential treatment for those that were struggling with eating disorders. So I just have a passion with working particularly with women through the lifespan and all of the issues that can arise. And that is one reason that I know you speak so well on body image. We're just closing out the first quarter of this year. And that is historically a time where people make big fitness goals. So Mm -hmm. we wanted to dive into the subject with you. Do you find the start of the year to be a trigger for women when it comes to body image? Because what we know is that the diet and fitness industry really rev up their marketing during this time. Yes. Yes. All of my clients, I feel like um, many of them, I don't want to say all of them have really become fixated on the goals that, I mean, when we think about this globally and we think about what happens during the time, you know, the new year and going into the first quarter, as you mentioned, the marketing industry is really targeting women. And what I find is that they target postpartum women and mothers and um, the ads that they create and the media that they're putting out there talks about, you know, how to get rid of those stretch marks, how to reduce the size of that postpartum body, how to shrink it, how to reduce lines, how to perfect it. And it is a hard thing to ignore as a mom, um, navigating all of the changes in our bodies. It's, it's overwhelming to go through it personally, but then to be targeted by marketing companies is really challenging. And I find that, you know, even those that are fitness coaches sometimes can, that are part of any kind of, um, MLM will target moms with, you know, try this, you need to do that. And it's really hard in that vulnerable position and that vulnerable time period for us to just get all of these messages and not take something away that says my body isn't good. 
Well, and it's everywhere. Mm -hmm. like, those messages are everywhere. You can't, you can't look one way or the other without seeing it. And for me personally, at the end of 2020, we welcomed our third child. So I am in that phase right now mm -hmm. where I'm being bombarded with that information. And I do, I feel much more confident this time around. Definitely not perfect. Mm -hmm. But with our first, I remember being so focused on the numbers on the scale. And that bounce back mentality, like that was really, really big about five years ago. So because you serve pregnant and postpartum women, how do you help people that are going through such big changes in such a relatively short period of time? I think what you said is so important because I think most of us can resonate with that. I remember that same experience and fear. I remember going into pregnancy and fearing the changes in my body, like before I be like before I even grew any in my belly. And I remember the fear. I actually surveyed a large, I did a large, large scale survey of women that were postpartum. And while I'd like to think like, okay, we think that these issues arise postpartum. What I found is that most of them developed these feelings and these ideas about their body far before they became pregnant. Actually, 91% of them reported that they were dissatisfied with their body image earlier in life. And 5% of them reported that this started during pregnancy and 22% of them felt like this started for them postpartum. So um, we really want to understand like that body image story and where it started so that we can become more aware of that. And what I mean by understanding that body image story is like, when did I first become aware of my body? And I know that sounds silly, but body image is that lived experience that we have in our body, how we feel, what we think when we're really, really young, it's fairly neutral. And it isn't until we're made aware of our body, what it does, what it looks like, or other people's bodies that we develop this story and it can be really shaded negatively. I remember my own, I remember this very vividly, my grandmother and I'm Middle Eastern, I'm a Syrian. It's like culturally normative to talk about people's bodies. And I know this is, this occurs in many cultures, not just my own, but she would comment on the size of my body and my brother's body and what we were eating and how we needed to lose weight. And at a very young age, I began to feel like thinness was desirable and bodies were only acceptable or good if they looked a certain way. So we have to really uncover our own body image story and when we became aware of our bodies and why. It's so interesting because I remember I went through puberty so much sooner than my close girlfriends. Mm -hmm. And so they were just so much smaller than me. Like I gained weight really fast, which actually happens to a lot of women. Mm -hmm. And when you're going through that process at a time that is much sooner than your friends, it can be really hard on, you know, our adolescent females. I know that this is such a hard subject and it's one that so many women struggle with. So can you tell us if someone is just starting the process of trying to improve their body image, where can they start? And let's get really tangible for our listeners. Absolutely. So we really do want to have some self-exploration to understand what our body image is, you know, what that lived experience is, where that story began and what that looked like. And what we'll find most often is this is years and years of negative stories and negative thinking and these ideas that or expectations that we've held on to 
that may not be desirable. So in order to change this, it's going to take some time. So that's the thing that I think is really important to understand. Um, knowing that story, knowing where this all started, that's a great starting piece for us. But we also want to look at what's going on in our day to day. Let's explore what we're consuming. And by that, I mean, you know, what am I reading? What media am I looking at? What are the shows that I'm watching or the people I'm interacting with? Because we want to know how that impacts the way that we view ourselves. That's so important, right? I, I always, I, I meet with moms and they'll tell me stuff like, I actually just had a mom tell me this a few weeks ago about how being on social media can be so triggering because there's this expectation that I should look like these people. Although I know that these are filtered images, although I know that this is unrealistic, I'm still comparing myself to this unrealistic expectation. So we really want to be paying attention and setting boundaries with what we're consuming. Um, the next thing I would suggest is tracking your body image vulnerabilities throughout the day. Like notice like when you felt overly critical of, you know, something, was it when I was trying on clothes that I probably should have let go of a while ago? Or is it when I'm, you know, interacting with this one particular person, or if I'm scrolling my phone, whatever the situation, just track what that vulnerability, like what was it so that we're, we're reducing some of these vulnerabilities. If we can, I recognize we can't like avoid everything in our lives, but we want to reduce the things that are causing us harm. I would also suggest working on those self statements. So what is that inner voice? And we all have an inner voice. It's talking to us all day long. It's, you know, evaluating situations. It's, I always tell people it's like this, um, like a tape recorder that's going on and on and on all day long in our mind. And when we have poor body image, it's a very critical voice. Like you shouldn't wear that, or you should look like this, or look at her. We want to move to a more neutral language because like, we can't flip the script on negative thinking and change it from like, gosh, I, you know, I really dislike my body to my body is beautiful. And I love it. Like that's ideal. Like, you know, that's very ideal, but it's very insincere and our, we are intuitive. We're smart people. Um, we know that that's doesn't feel genuine. So we want to start with more neutral language. Like my, you know, my body feels uncomfortable right now and I'm going to sit with that for a moment, but not like, God, I hate my body. You know, it's my body sucks. I hate all these things about me. We want to go into this more neutral language to describing our experience and um, being kinder. I always think of it like if you were to think of your body as a living human being, would you still talk to it that way, the way that you've been talking to it in your head? I mean, would you ever share those thoughts with a person and say like, gosh, you don't deserve to wear that or you shouldn't eat that or look at you. Like, would you really ever say those things out loud? And that's where we start to check that, that language and find out, let's rewind this tape here. And something else I would really encourage people to do is showing gratitude and appreciation for like the small things, the things that we don't even pay attention to. Our bodies are working, they're functioning, you know, they are digesting, we're walking, we're breathing, we're doing all of these things day in and day out without prompting. So finding whatever it feels comfortable um, showing appreciation to and getting into a daily practice of showing that gratitude and appreciation for our body. I remember, um, cause I've had a very up and down relationship with body image throughout the course of my life. And I remember being really critical and I was out for this like walk. I was doing a mindful walk and it's like, I was like a new therapist and 
really struggling with my body. And I just remember this. I don't even know where it came from because it was not like my internal dialogue. It's not where my mind used to go. I was just so thankful that I could walk. And it was like the best feeling because I reminded myself, like, this is a privilege. I get to do this. This is awesome. My legs can move. I'm breathing air. This doesn't hurt. And it felt good to acknowledge that and sit with that. Those were all so good. And I encourage our listeners to just rewind back three minutes if you're stuck in the body struggle images right now and just choose one of them. I really like the last two that you brought up with or the last few with going neutral and just choosing one thing that you like about your body, like the little things, especially as a perfectionist, trying to go the other way and be like, I love everything about it. Mm -hmm. It can just backtrack us and it can make us start at square one when we could be making little progress along the way. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've opened up this conversation before on different episodes, but I've really been through some hard times with body image, specifically falling into some patterns of binging, over-consuming, and then purging through exercise And that was actually one of the biggest reasons that I started running marathons because I knew that a 10 mile training run, I could do that. And all the overconsumption that I had the day before, it would kind of make up for it. So I was exercising for punishment and not for health and definitely not for enjoyment. So if women are starting to feel that trigger that we need to exercise in order to fix something, maybe something that we ate, what are some things that we can do to slow ourselves down and just adjust our mindset around it? This is, I'm so glad you're bringing this up. Um, this can be tricky because like over-exercising and orthorexia, this obsession with healthy eating or clean eating can mimic or can look like, you know, a quote unquote healthy lifestyle. So it's really hard to delineate like what's good and what's bad. You know, what should I, what am I, is this too much? I always talk about this in the form of like with any other addictive behavior, if you're addicted to a substance, substance, we, what we tell people to eliminate that from their life and they can, right. When we're talking about food and exercise, these are the things that we want people, you're still going to continue eating and you're still going to continue moving your body in some way. So it's very hard to find that fine line and that balance, but this obsessiveness can become harmful and it can lead to both physical and emotional turmoil because you feel like I have to, right? Like I cannot skip this exercise because, or it's starting to impact my relationships because the anxiety surrounding these feelings. And when I meet with clients that are experiencing this, I find that they're also showing signs of anxiety. And like you said, perfectionism or obsessing like compulsive disorder or potentially another eating disorder. So when you're going through this, we could come up with solutions, but given that this can range, like how severe it is, I would highly encourage Um, listeners to see a provider to sort through unhelpful thought patterns surrounding this or finding alternative coping skills. I mean, yes, moving our body can be a great coping skill, but if it's also a trigger, we want to find things that we can do outside of that, that also calm the anxiety and calm the negative thinking patterns that we're having. And when you work with a trained professional in this area, you'll also learn about moderation and you'll do all kinds of exercises to really help navigate this time. And you can find providers that are skilled and trained in this area on um, NIDA or nationaleatingdisorders.org. Or you can also go to psychology today and filter by specialty and choose somebody that's trained in this area and knows all about it. But I highly encourage you to sit down and talk to somebody that knows about this experience. And I always, this is my takeaway. It's always like, there's it's never too early to get help. So if you're just like wondering about it, if you're concerned about it at all, 
sit down and talk to somebody. It's never too early to sort this stuff out with a trained professional. That is a perfect way to close out this conversation. And there's so many pieces to it too. The obsession can lead to the eating disorder. It can lead to anxiety. Like there's all these working parts to it. So it's really more than just one thing when we're talking about talking about this piece of it with the body image. So is there anything else to add as we close out the conversation for body image specifically? I would just, I know how hard this is and it's like we, we go through and we, maybe we lived in a culture or we grew up in, you know, this community, whatever it looks like that has distorted the way that we see our bodies or that we've kind of objectified ourselves to just be only a body and not like all the things that we can do and all the things, all the qualities and characteristics that we have. And then when we start doing body image work, we feel so guilty about having negative body image. And then we get so consumed about how this will impact our children. And I just encourage the listeners to be patient with yourself and know that this took time and there's a lot of healing that has to happen. And that's going to take time and it's not going to be perfect and it's going to be ugly along the way. But I always like to think about like that little kid or that, you know, that teen that started developing these bad habits or this bad image and view of yourself. Like, what would you say to that person? If there was a corrective voice, if there was some healing that needed to happen, if there was an apology that needs to be said, what would that be? And I would just go there. And it really is. It's a lifelong journey because, you know, for those of us that have gone through pregnancy postpartum, but then even after that, Mm -hmm. we were just talking before we jumped out about COVID weight gain and working through that and still feeling worthy and that you don't have to fix it. So just encouragement, because I know that this is a really hard subject for women and that it is a journey Mm -hmm. and it's not a fast fix. But to make progress, you have to start on it. Absolutely. A quick ad break from our partner, Gooder. Gooder has sunglasses that are very affordable, $25 to $35. I love that because I often lose my sunglasses, but I love these ones so much that I try not to lose them. One of my favorite is Bossley's Bassett Howden Dreams. And we've seen a lot of you guys tagging us in your runway breakfast run to Tiffany's. So they've got a lot of different styles and you can find them all on their website, which is gooder.com, G-O-O-D-R.com. And you can use code herself for 15% off your order. We are going to move on to another really important subject. And we did speak about this in your last Herself episode. That was episode 27. For those that haven't listened yet, we spoke about loss. And it's something that you've gone through personally. It's something that you've helped other women through. And we know that our community needs this subject because on Tuesdays, we have women write in their highs and lows of the week. And every single week, we get so many shares about women that are going through miscarriage. So we couldn't let this interview go by without asking you, A, are there things that you can recommend on how women can start on this particular healing journey? And then B, how can we as friends sisters, peers, support other people that are going through loss. This is such a big thing that comes up for me and my practice, as well as even on social media. That's so incredibly important. I remember 
really um, navigating this time. And even with the clients I work with, I think sometimes the thing that needs to be reminded is that you walk through your journey. And although other people have walked a similar path, like maybe they experience loss, that doesn't mean that you need the same things that they need. So some people will get like really caught up in the idea of like, I should be doing these things because that's what people are telling me to do. I should be, you know, responding this way, or I should be feeling that way, or there's a timeline for healing. And I just want to encourage you that your experience, no matter how many people have gone through something similar is a very personal and unique to you. And you're going to have to figure out what you need. And sometimes you're not going to know what that looks like. Maybe talking about it feels good. Maybe it doesn't feel so good right now, but you want to acknowledge the feelings that are coming up and avoid suppressing them or pushing them down and making them going away. If you find that the people in your life are not the best supports, and it's not because they're malicious or they're trying not to be supportive. It's because they truly do not know how to support you. You don't have to do it alone. I know that, you know, friends and family, they like just want to be there. And often they're saying these things that you're just like, gosh, that's not helpful for me. And that's okay. So finding support groups can be really helpful because other people have walked this road and they may have some good insight. They may know how to support you best. So I really recommend checking out um, the national nationalshare.org as well as postpartum.net because they both have terrific resources for parents experiencing grief and loss. And if you didn't know, um, Dr. Jessica Zucker just wrote and published a book called I Had a Miscarriage. And um, it's a whole memoir and movement and it's incredible. She just sent me a copy I'm not getting paid to say this. <laughs> she <just laughs> sent me a copy and I really love the work that she's doing. So I would encourage you to look out other supports and really paying attention to what your personal needs are and not being so consumed with how other people think that you should be responding or how you should be feeling. Mm, I love everything you shared. And as friends, you know, what, what would your recommendation be just checking in on them, like leaving it open, like we're a listening ear for you asking how they want us to show up. Like, is there, I know there's not a perfect answer, but I think so many of us feel lost when we really want to make sure that the woman knows like we are here. Yes. This is hard. You know, this is all hard work. And I think social media has made this a little more challenging because we feel like we have to show up perfectly for people. You know, we, we expect people to show up a certain way. The people like that are showing up feel like they've got to have it all right. And if then they say something wrong, and I think it's because we've created this very critical social media, like atmosphere and environment. Um, but the truth is it doesn't matter. I mean, obviously we want to not be harmful with our words, but when we're showing up and we're being supportive, the most important thing we can do is remind that person by our actions and by our words that we are there. We're not going anywhere. And that. We are here to hold space and listen. And that's such an important piece. It's like, I can listen to you without having to fix this. I can listen to you without trying to give you my own personal story. I can listen to you and validate your feelings and say, yes, this is hard. You're right. It is hard because this is something I, you know, that you're sharing with me that is definitely a big life-changing moment. So I hear you. I'm here with you. And you can ask people, you know, what is it that you need from me? Like, how can I best support you? That's great. That's, this just shows the person that you're there and you're supporting them and that you're trying. And I think it's like, keep showing up when things get hard. And when people are grieving, 
it is very uncomfortable to keep showing up because we feel like we don't have the words. We don't know what to do. We, we trick ourselves and tell ourselves like this person doesn't need me right now. They need space or they have somebody else. We just continue showing up and sometimes doing those things without being prompted or asked, like bringing over dinner or just calling to say like, Hey, I thought this would be a good time for us to talk or whatever that looks like. I mean, I'm, I can give you examples all day long, but showing up without being prompted is something that the person that's going through this will never forget. Like, wow, this person never like disappeared. They kept showing up for me. They kept asking about me. And I think that's, that is incredible. Yeah. When this episode airs the next week will be national infertility awareness week. And we're going to have an episode on that as well. What's coming to my mind is there's so many hard things that women in our age category can go through and struggle through. And so bringing these conversations, which you've helped us do so well onto the podcast is, is really so important because if you're not going through it, you likely know somebody that is. And if we can learn more, like Dr. Reem said, we can't be perfect humans, but we can at least open ourselves up to learning so that we can show empathy, we can show care, and we can definitely keep showing up. Mm -hmm. Okay. We're going to transition into talking through something that a lot of us experienced this past year. And I've heard you talk about overstimulation before, and I love the video that you recorded for our Patreon members on handling anxiety. This is another really important topic. And when I was writing this question set, I was coming out of a kid's sick stretch. So mm -hmm. a lot of us that are mothers, like that, that is really stressful. Um, my husband's job has continued to be really busy and I couldn't get any of our typical help because we were still in a time of COVID. I truly felt so demanded and overstimulated. Mm -hmm. Can you coach us through how to get to a better place when it feels like our village isn't able to help us? Oh my, this is like, this is a million dollar question. Yes. Right? <laughs> this is the question. If there was a question, this was, this was it. Um, this is something that has come up every single week for the clients I meet with, for the people that I engage with on social media, for myself, just feeling like we are inundated with no reprieve. I would really encourage parents to for, like, let's focus on my environment. What can I control? Can I reduce unneeded stimulation in my home? I always tell like people remove the noisy things, the toys that are loud and noisy. Let's get rid of them or get rid of the battery. Let's turn off appliances when I'm home and I can't hear another thing. Let me dim the lights, change the scenery if I need to, or wear even earplugs. I mean, really, this is a real thing to buffer that overstimulation. Those are just like some of the physical things that we can do. But one of the things that we really need to be paying attention to is like, we've been taught like, over the course of years, decades, like as moms and as parents, we need to do the most. We need to do it all. We need to, you know, be perfect. We need to achieve and strive. But in this state that we're in, and really any state of parenthood, when like we're being stretched thin, do what's necessary and reduce your expectations. Like if I could tattoo that on my forehead, I would, but I won't. <laughs> <laughs> but do what is necessary and reduce expectations because. Um, this is not the time to be a super parent. This is not the time to like have it all and do it all. 
allow your children to use technology. This is a tool. This is a tool that we can use to have our moment to be like, do something for ourselves or get something else done or practice quiet time as a family when obviously it's age appropriate or use naps to recharge rather than just doing. We are in this time where doing and busyness is so glorified that we need to schedule stops and breaks. So set up a quiet activity for your kids. Ask for an alone time when your partner or support person is available and schedule it. Make it a priority like a doctor's appointment would be. Because we often say like, okay, I'll get that once I'm done with, you know, all these 15 things. No, like schedule rest and make it a priority before the things get done. It is critical to your health, your emotional well-being. Um, And some people will wake up early and stay up late to focus on themselves. That's not me. That's not, I mean, I cannot wake up any earlier than I wake up, (laughs) but finding what I call margin and scheduling that margin. You know, like when we look at paper and we look at books, they all have margin. And that's like where like life happens. We can write notes. We can um, process the stuff that was on the page. It allows, it's more visually pleasing. Well, in our lives, if we're not creating the space for margin, we are going to feel the overwhelm and we are going to feel overstretched and it's going to feel jumbled. So really finding and making it a priority to put that space in your day, like all those other things, they're going to be a responsibility later and tomorrow, but you like prioritizing 15, 20, 30 minutes, whatever, however you can, it's going to change the way that you feel. And that's got a domino effect. And it's in that margin where all the magic Mm -hmm. truly happens. Like when we can let ourselves stay still for long enough to hear what we have to say, to see what's going on in our world, we can move forward so much faster than if we're trying to move forward without getting that true rest in. So that margin word, I like that word because I think some people are like rest. I can't rest. I don't have time for rest, Mm -hmm. but all of us have time for some margin in our day. For sure. And we've been huge advocates. So from day one, Amy and I are huge advocates of women building their village and getting creative with it. But it really seemed like COVID, it just took so many of our options away. And at the same time, it somehow highlighted the load that we carry when we had to carry it without the help of the people that we're so used to. Mm -hmm. And in really hard times, it feels like partnership. It just, it's more important than ever, especially for those of us who have a partner at home. But when both people are feeling that stress, how do we navigate that? Like, do you have any ground rules for this? How we can make sure that both partners are getting what they need? Because we know from our listeners that there is so much stress right now and that our husbands and our partners in our community are also feeling that stress. For sure. I mean, we're, I think that's the piece that's difficult is that we forget that we're both experiencing all of the things together. Cause sometimes we become so fixated on our own personal experience that we forget that those around us are also living that experience especially with a partner, because we actually just had a a relationship workshop and we talked about this like idea of when we're really stressed and we're really vulnerable because of the stress, we start to tally like what I'm doing versus what you're doing. And the biggest thing is to get on like a sense of agreement. Okay. What are your needs? And we're not going to know this until we start communicating this with our partner, right? Like we're not going to know what their needs are until they tell us, and they're not going to know all of our needs until we tell them nobody is a mind reader and um, is going to know those things. So having the conversations about like, okay, well, what is it that you need? What makes you feel de-stressed or your best self? And obviously we're not going to all be functioning on best self right now, but do you need to move your body? Do you just need a break from 
all of us, you know, and just need some space and quiet time figuring out what that looks like and finding something that feels agreed upon and fair between the two of you. Like, okay, if you go and take a break from this time to this time, then I'm going to take a break and we can alternate. So it's really not going to look the same for families because obviously the structure of families are completely different all, all around and our desires and needs are completely different all around. Some people might need to be doing this daily while others don't need to be doing this daily. So figuring out what works for your partnership, for you and your people and executing that, but also changing when necessary, checking back in and seeing like, okay, what needs to change? And I think a barrier might be that we hear from our community, a lot of women have a really hard time initiating a tough conversation with their partners. But as all three of us know, often we have to be able to speak our needs and our feelings out loud so that it doesn't grow into resentment and burnout and the lack of hope from your partner. So could you provide us with a tough conversation starter pack for those that (laughs) might need to bring this up to their partner? Yes. So the first thing to ask yourself and to question is, like, what's the cost um, and the benefit? What's the cost and benefit versus not, you know, voicing my my feelings versus what's the cost and benefit versus not getting my needs met? And when we put those up against each other, it's like, okay, well, what pain do I want to experience? The pain of never sharing my feelings and letting bitterness stew and feeling resentment and now feeling like I'm on the, the opposite team as my partner and, and not getting my needs met. Or is the pain of speaking my needs and my feelings, although very uncomfortable and potentially getting some of my needs met, where do you sit there and really think about that? And I I understand that this is hard. This is hard for a lot of people. But when we talk about bringing up needs, I actually, this is so fresh in my mind. We just were reviewing all of this stuff, but we want to have a soft startup. Sometimes when we do not express our needs for so long, when we do, it comes out very aggressive or hostile because it's we're at our breaking point. So I encourage you to have these conversations regularly and opening that dialogue. But we want to identify the most important things we can do is identify what your positive needs are, as well as um, how you are feeling personally. So, you know, like I feel statements and not I feel like you're being lazy. That's not a feeling we want to like, I feel without actual feeling after, you know, what your feelings are and then identifying what your positive needs are. And a positive need is I need, you know, 30 minutes tonight to be with myself or whatever that looks like. Obviously I don't want to assume. And the thing that we typically get into the routine of is we don't identify our own feelings. We don't identify our positive needs. What we do is we start to use you statements like you always, or you never. And then we identify all of the things that we don't want. I don't want you to, you know, come home late and do all these things. Like, so we'll like list all of the stuff that we don't actually want. And that's not effective and that's not helpful. So we want to get into the practice of tuning in with ourselves, identifying what our feelings are and identifying what our positive needs are and saying that this all in a way that we'd like to receive it. If you've heard me on a podcast or you've heard me with my clients or anywhere, I say this to everybody I work with. We send a message how we'd like to receive it. 
So when we are like thinking about sharing something with somebody, like let's literally think about, okay, what would I do if somebody said this to me? How would I feel? But I feel like, gosh, that was, that was harsh. Or would I think about like, okay, that makes sense. I can see why you'd feel that way. And that's how we want to practice. And I always ask for agreement ahead of time when I'm having conversations, even with my, my husband, I will say like, Hey, is this a good time to talk? Because I want the buy-in. I want the agreement in the conversation. It, it might not be a good time. It, you know, he might be doing something else. So we really want to be paying attention to what is going on around us. Is somebody wrapping up an email or on their phone? Are we both hungry? Are we tired? We really want to check out all of that stuff. And we want to get the buy-in and the commitment. And we want to remove distractions. Like maybe we do have an understanding that when we're talking, let's get rid of all the distractions. Let's look at each other and let's talk about this. And then we go into the, this is how I've been feeling. And these are, this is what I need. What are your thoughts about that? And that timing can be so important because even if it's the right time for you, or you feel like you need to get it off your chest, you need to have it come out right then. We can just take a minute and see, okay, is this okay for them? And then also pausing instead of it coming out as that negative energy, pausing and saying the yeah, I feel statements. And I like where you added that I need. Mm-hmm. So having that be part of the conversation right away so that it doesn't come out as you never do the dishes. It's I need you to help with doing the dishes, or this is what I would be able to, this is going to help me quite a bit more. Yes. That is such an important part of the conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It has been so nice to have you on Dr. Reem. Can you please let our listeners know where they can find more of you? Yes. Thank you so much for having me. You can find, I'm, I am psyched mommy everywhere. So I'm on Instagram psyched mommy on Facebook, Pinterest, and my website is www.psychedmommy.com. And that is P S Y C H E D M O M M Y.com. That's me everywhere. And that's how you can find me. And if you want more of Dr. Reem, you can also find her on episode 27. So for our Patreon members, Amy mentioned this earlier, but we also have a video workshop on stress and anxiety that Dr. Reem walks you through. So these video workshops, you guys, along with our extra audio, the mini podcasts, we have added resources in there. And then definitely that private Facebook community. These are all the things that can really take these podcast conversations to the next level. So if you're not familiar or if you've been wanting to check it out but haven't done so yet, head over to our Patreon site. You can also go to the app, but it's on patreon.com backslash herself podcast. Again, patreon.com backslash herself podcast. We would love to have you join. 